Welcome to Revenue Rehab, your one-stop destination for collective solutions to the biggest challenges faced by marketing leaders today. Now head on over to the couch, make yourself comfortable, and get ready to change the way you approach revenue. Leading your recovery is modern marketer, author, speaker, and chief operating officer at Tegrita, Brandy Starr. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Revenue Rehab. I am your host, Brandy Starr, and we have another amazing episode for you today. I am joined by Carol Grant. Carol is a marketing strategist with over 20 years experience across multiple areas, including product marketing, digital, retail, enterprise, and SaaS. Carol is currently heading up marketing at Cindio, a SaaS company focusing on helping large enterprises achieve workplace equity. She is the mother of two boys, a wife of an amazing supportive partner, and a closet real estate junkie. Carol, welcome to Revenue Rehab. Your session begins now. Hi, Brandy. First of all, that video intro is amazing. Thank you. I know. My team probably was sick of me as we were preparing to launch the podcast because I was like, okay, move this over, try this picture, replace that. I got like a little little extra with the editing. So it paid off. It paid off. It's great. Appreciate it. Uh, You know, I have to say, like, I read your bio and mine reads very similarly that we've been in this industry for 20 years. And I promise we definitely don't look old enough to have been in marketing for 20 years. So much, you know, love uh, working with uh, awesome, amazing other women in business, especially no shame to my guys. Uh, But I'm happy to have you here on the couch. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And I like to break the ice with a little woo-saw moment that I call buzzword banishment. So tell me, what buzzword would you like to get rid of forever? <laughs> it's it's a little self-serving at the moment because it's uh, the thing causing me anxiety right now, me and my team. Predictability and repeatability. And ah. Yes. And not because it's not important, because I think it is. I, I think it's kind of the shift of thinking of like, given that we are a startup, we've built this amazing marketing team in within a three to four to six month period, rapidly fast, right? Um, and predictability and repeatability, right? That takes time. If my boss listens to this, she's probably going to like have a heart attack. When I say this. <laughs> because every week she's like, when are we getting to predictability? Um, and so I just think it's more of a timing and kind of just setting that understanding and that expectation really of like, hey, when you are, you know, building new marketing motions, really getting a sense for who your audience is, like, you know, almost starting from scratch predictability is not going to come right away. Right. And you, and you do need kind of that over time quarter by quarter working the plan, analyzing, assessing, and tweaking to then start to get to like, what's really working. I also feel like it's a bit fraught and, and I'm learning this in real time because an enterprise sale 
is so complex. I don't actually ever know if there's going to be this formula of predictability. I think there are things that we will learn and figure out types of things that work in, in general, um, or, you know, what type of touch points work to really move that, that to opportunity. Um, so that's one, that's one lens, but also the market's ever changing. Right. And so to me, when you say predictability, I'm, it's almost like until when, right. Because, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, doing the same thing over and over again, almost, um, makes it seem as like the market doesn't change or customers don't change or evolve. So, so to me, it's a, it's a bit fraught. Um, and I think it needs probably a little bit, um, uh, probably a little bit of a rework in terms of how we, how we think about it. Yeah. I can say the most predictable thing in marketing is the fact that everything's going to change. And that, you know, that's kind of the only thing we can predict because you are right. Like, I mean, even just thinking about the pandemic, think about how much everything changed based on something that no one could have predicted would happen. So all the plans and the things that work and any testing you did before 2019, it's irrelevant because nothing is the same as what it was. And and so I'm with you in, in that, I do believe that there you do get to a point where there is some level of expectation or predictability that you can say exists when you've seen the same consistent results. Uh, But on the repeatability side, I'd actually argue that, and this is a buzzword that a previous guest has banished, but scale, like repeatability really is about scale. Like, is it something we can do over and over in an effective way? Um, so I still like scale and repeatability, but we will go ahead and put both of those words in the box in the box for further evaluation, right? (laughs) At least for this conversation. Yes, 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 yes. Sounds sounds like a plan. I'm with that. Sounds like a plan. Well, now that we've gotten that off our chest, tell me what brings you to revenue rehab today? Yeah. So, you know, we have in marketing have scaled a team really fast. Um, And one of the big challenges we had is like, how do we remain true to kind of the mission of Sydney, who we are and and really make sure we are um, putting our best foot forward when it comes to really hiring diverse, diverse talent. Um, Sydney is a SaaS company, as you mentioned, that that focuses on helping enterprises identify measure inequities in the workplace more specifically in pay and opportunity equity. But, you know, it does start with, with you know, hot, hot, making sure you have that diverse talent coming in. And I do think as the labor market tightened, you know, it became even trickier to yes. really set out strategies and not only set out strategies, like hold to them, <laughs> right? <laughs> because, yes. but, you know, because you get, you get desperate, right? Like when you are working with a lean team and you know, you got to get things done, you know, kind of try not to let desperation (laughs) take (laughs) over and really, you know, making sure you're, you're building up the pipeline in a way that you feel good that you have, you know, the best representation, right. Of the, of the market and what's available. And I can definitely say from experience that the worst hiring decisions are made when you make them out of desperation. 
And yeah. I mean, who the stories I could tell, but we won't go there. <laughs> Maybe and, that's for after. That's for after the podcast. Maybe. Yes, those are. You know, that's <laughs> one of those cocktail conversations. Uh, <laughs> but before we jump in, I believe in setting intentions. It gives us purpose. Yeah. It gives us focus, and most important, it gives our audience an understanding of what they should expect from our conversation. So, tell me, what are your intentions? What are your best hopes? What do you want people to take away from our discussion? Yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to um, when it comes to diverse talent and really kind of trying to build a world class marketing team, diverse talent, right? It's it's really making sure you have the right HR partner. You guys are working really closely together um, to really kind of set forth the strategy. Like even um, when I when I started. I don't know, like week two, we were, we were growing the marketing team, right? I mean, we were having conversations around, usually our roles are like Seattle, New York, and DC based. Are like, I, I'm kind of like, are we gonna do full remote so that we can kind of open up the wider labor pool and get that diverse talent? Um, you know, we were strategizing, working together on, are there organizations that we can partner with who would allow us to have more access to diverse talent? So I think it's really like, you know, and it depends on how big your company is, right? Like, but usually in a startup in a small company, HR is only so big. Right. And, right. And so if you really want to be able to kind of activate and, and hire for diverse talent, sometimes that means partnering a little bit more closely than what you'd be used to with HR. So I think that's one, like, don't be afraid to really kind of be in there with HR, be a true partner um, and, and really kind of align on what your strategy is you know, even down to like pipeline goals. Like we had, um, I think it was like roughly a 35% because we just wanted to make sure like, okay, we we are getting diverse talent and, and we had conversations, we ended up upping that to 50%, right? And said like, hey, it may take some time and that's fine. But again, it's that like work with them to set the strategy and then hold true to it. Um, and it, you know, labor market, like I said, it's hard. Um, but it will be it will be really worth it. So I think that's that's a, one takeaway. I think the other takeaway too, right, is there's no peanut butter approach. <laughs> like I can tell you the four things we did. It probably is not going to apply to everybody, right? Um, so it's kind of really thinking through for your unique business, the skills you need, the job functions you need. What is the right strategy that's going to make sense? And so just the other thing is like there's no there's no peanut butter approach. Like it, especially if you're doing it right. And then right. it should it should look a little different for for everybody. So let's jump in and let's start with the four things that you did because I do agree that there is no one size fits all. Yeah. Um, and you know we've been in a, a similar boat in that we are also a small company. We're a team of twenty six, I think now, uh, somewhere between wow. twenty five and thirty, um, and very niche in what we do. And so there, you know, we had to make significant efforts because there was one role we had open and we received 400 plus applications. And, and these are the actual qualified ones, not the, you know, the, the trash, the, the ones that you're like, yeah, oh, yeah. not a shot. You're like, like the it's like your job isn't even the same job. Right. Like, oh, <laughs> you don't even. Lots of stories there. Related. But, so we had roughly 400 and something 
viable, like that they at least were worth a, a solid review. And once we went through and had, and this was back when we still did, like we've changed our hiring process, but when we still did a lot of like true first calls um, and we would do them in video, in that pool of people, there was a very small number, and I can't remember the exact number, but a very small number of candidates that were minorities. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we, you know, want to genuinely make sure that we have good diversity and not just on race. In this case, that's the thing that is most yeah. obvious when someone joins a video call, but just, you know, thinking about everything, it was like, okay, how do we do that? Like, how do we make sure that as an organization, we are a diverse organization when what we're seeing come through in this abundance is very much the majority? So I'm interested in hearing what are those things that you all did to help to recruit more diverse talent? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. A couple of things I, I already talked about, I'll just reiterate. Um, you know, setting just the higher bar and expectation on what we wanted to see coming in the pipeline before we had full-on interview loops and vetting people. Um, and, and so that was kind of really being bold and bullish, you know, <laughs> in a tight labor market and, and knowing that, like, I've got to scale a team because 2022 is coming and we got to drive demand. So I got to like scale a team now, you know, it, being bullish and knowing that, you know, if we set this goal, we have to then make sure we're having the right strategies to meet that goal. To the second point, we ended up partnering with um, an organization that provides access to more diverse talent um, called Color Wave. We actually, they got on our radar through one of our strategic advisors and, and you know, I will say Cindio. Um, this is my first startup, but as I look at Cindio compared to other startups, we really, really do a good job to make sure like our strategic advisor network is diverse so that we can kind of tap them to, to try and find diverse talent or, or help with strategies to find diverse talent. So Color Wave is an organization that came through our strategic advisor network that we, that we ended up partnering with. The other thing that I already mentioned is we just like made a decision to like, we're just going to have the roles be remote um, and just not kind of dictate this like major city of locations, like being located near there. We're like, listen, it's like the age of COVID work is shifting, work is changing. Cynthia was already doing remote work for like a year completely. And so it's like, you know, if, if we really want to be able to walk our talk, right. And, and cause we are in this place of workplace equity, like that is our, that is our business. Um, we need to kind of lower those barriers to help us do that. And so setting like remote work across the board was one way that we were able to kind of get more access to, to more diverse talent. Um, and, you know, a few other things um, like structuring the, the interviews to remain consistent, right, um, across candidates. And so, you know, I'd be curious kind of your scenario that you were talking about by the time it kind of got to you, the pool was you know, embedded in the pool was smaller, you know, I'd, I'd be curious, like kind of how they were being vetted, like how consistent was that across all the candidates, right? Because we do find like when you're kind of holding it consistent and making sure everybody has a similar experience, um, 
it, it just kind of really helps to kind of set the stage, but then also make sure we're not inadvertently um, injecting bias into that part of the process and then ending up on the other end of where we're trying, where we're trying not to be. Um, we also really assess based on competent competencies. And so um, the one thing I love about Cyndio is we have a clear philosophy that yes, experience matters, but it's not everything. And so we really try and assess for skill and competency. I'm, I'm proof of that. I am a first time CMO, right? Like, you know, I've been in marketing for a long time, but as you know, marketing is multifaceted, not right. multifaceted, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, my CEO said, you have the skills, like you may not have had the experience of scaling a marketing team and building, but you have the skills and you have the capabilities, right? And so we, we really try and also assess on that level of really thinking about um, skills and capability. And, and a lot of how we unearth that is we, um, sometimes we have a lot of like homework takeaways for interviewers. So it's giving everybody the same opportunity to mm -hmm. kind of show what they can bring to the, the role and the, and the questions remain consistent, right? So I think that's another um, thing that we really try and do to, to, to boost how we're getting in diverse, diverse talent. Uh, and hearing you talk about this is really a good affirmation for me that like we're doing the right things. Um, because you yes. talked about like, you know, if I go back to when I first started, our interview process was typical, like it wasn't broken, but it very much was sort through the resumes, have the first call where you talk through like what the role is, ask some of the basic, you know, qualifying questions and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, it was fine enough. And yeah, yeah. we went through a period of some really bad hires and it was actually damaging to the brand like we yeah. are consultants which means we are the experts in our field and yeah. when you have multiple people making mistakes like our reputation is everything. it reflects yeah it reflects yeah. on the brand for sure and so very much it was like okay hold up like you know this is messing with the money now like we gotta yes. figure this thing out and in refiguring that out, like kind of the catalyst for that was a business need. But in refiguring that out, we did take the approach of how do we also make sure that we are being fair and equitable in how we are, you know, handling this process, that everybody has a fair shot. And the first thing that we did was exactly what you said in going through and figuring out how do we make sure that we are not interjecting unconscious bias. Mm -hmm, and so mm -hmm. we did remove number of years of experience. Only our most senior roles have yeah. any real reference to expectation of, we still don't use years, but you know, our, our most senior roles do have a little bit of that in there because it, it does actually matter. But yeah. other than that top tier of role, it really much is exactly what you're saying in What's the experience? Like, can you demonstrate that you've got the skill that we need? The other thing that we did was, I don't want to say automate because it's not automated, but taking yeah. the human component 
out of the early stages. So we have candidates, we have a landing page that has a bunch of videos. So everyone hears the exact same thing about pay, the way we work, the interview process, like all these things. And they go through the whole thing. And if they're still interested after reading and listening and yeah. we're real transparent with the salary, then there's a survey. <clears throat> and that survey, actually, we've worked with a professional, you know, the people that understand the studies to give us a baseline of does this person have the competency that we need for this specific role? And anybody that scores where they need to be moves forward. Anybody that doesn't, doesn't. And so it completely mm. takes out that it's not subjective. It's not, you know, oh, yeah. the, the initial person liked them or didn't like them or whatever. Um, and, so and there's no personal identifiers in it. Like you said, you're with the name. So it's just literally your response. Yeah. So, I mean, technically you do, your name is in there. So the, the calculation can be associated back to who you are. But the score is an automated calculation purely based on your answer. Nice. Yeah. So it's like, and nice. you know, it, and so that has really, really helped. And I mean, I can say in the past couple of couple of years, when it comes to talent, like we have nailed it. Like, you know, sometimes I am in awe at just, you know, we have an amazing team in general, but if wow. I look at those that were hired under this new process, it's just, you know, so spot on. And, and we also, you know, I mean, as a company of 25, you know, with a four person leadership team, our team is 50% women, you know, 25% minority being me. Um, you know, you look at all of our other stats, like we are above all of the averages. And so it's clear that it works. That it works. Um, yes. And um, one of the things that I wanted to, talk about is the fact that I really appreciate that you guys found a partner to support you. Um, because I do think that's a challenge, especially in large organizations that they're not thinking about is, you know, I'll hear people say, I've tapped my whole network and I can't find any minority talent. And I'm like, yeah. well, what's your network look like? You know, it's like you went to Princeton you know, you live in Boston, you know, it's like, and, I, and I'm using Dang. stereotypical things here. No, but you're right, Brandy. I live in Seattle now at 14 years. I mean, I've been in big tech. I, when I got here, people were like, can you tap your network? I looked at my network. I'm like, they're all white. Like, that's my, right. that's my network. <laughs> so no, that's not going to be helpful. <laughs> and so that is important is actually recognizing what your circle looks like. Yeah. So that if it is not diverse and, you know, I mean, again, race is kind of the obvious thing because you see it. But when you think about gender expression, socioeconomic yeah. background, education background, religion, neurodiversity, like, there's yes. so, yes, yep. All of those things, you know, bring diversity of thought into the organization. Um, so, what, you know, and I'm going to look up Color Wave because I'm really yeah. intrigued, but help me understand what did they do with your organization? Were they the recruiting partner? Were they, you know, almost in a consulting capacity? Help me understand more about that relationship. I will do my best. Because I don't <laughs> have a person on here who handled like all of the logistics, but um, they actually, they have a really robust 
database that we can tap into. They post the role um, within their database, um, you know, and they also help funnel, like, I think they sent her like daily kind of like, here's a match of like who we think would be good for this role. Um, so it was somewhat automated, but it was just the access knowing that the, the like that was essentially a platform uh, where we knew we can tap into for diverse, diverse talent. Um, and so, you know, it, it was a bit automated and, and you know, it, it worked probably like a, just a regular um, job posting site, but we definitely did have a point of contact who would work with us on, you know, making sure we were able to kind of, they were able to help curate and help us identify like people who would be, who would be a match. Um, and I'm sure there's others. Um, and also too, when I was looking, I did see also a couple different member-based organizations that focus on like black marketing executive professionals as well. Some of the names are blanking, I'm blanking on. Um, but I think like overall the, the, the takeaway is, you know, there are these organizations out there, right? That almost makes scaling this strategy easier. Because I like for the first month to two months when we were, you know, trying to make sure we had access to diverse, it was just that. It was like, you know, I'm on a WhatsApp with like the small network of, you know, BIPOC executives. I know, do you like, can you tap your network? You know, and it was very, you know, very kind of grassroots, right? Which doesn't scale. And so I think tapping into these organizations and finding them and being able to build those relationships is quite critical. Okay. And two things that you said that I want to jump into um, shifting gears just a little bit is yeah. one of the things that I have seen is a lot of, uh, especially large organizations, making an effort to recruit, you know, uh, minority marketers at the entry level roles, kind of mm -hmm. get them early, you know, teach them, give them opportunity. And while I'm a firm believer that that is a great strategy, I think that it still leaves a huge gap in being able to drive diversity in the organization when all of the diversity only exists at the bottom of the pyramid. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what Sorry. have you seen either in the work that Cindio is doing or, you know, any thoughts that you have around how do we get that diversity to, you know, because if we look at percentages, it's like, okay, we now have this percent of minorities, but it's like, okay, they are all in your entry level roles. Totally. And, you yeah, know, you look yeah. at the board slide or the, the executive, you know, page on the website and it's like, mm, they are yeah, it's all. It's like, it's not really trickling up. Yeah. 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 Like, how do no, we I think, get there? I think that's a great question. I mean, um, you know, this is, just this overall mission is one of the reasons that I joined Cindio. And, and, you know, they started on the path of like, we need to make, apply technologies as this idea of pay equity, equal pay for equal work. Um, and, you know, over a year ago, you know, they've been doing that for a while, but over a year ago, really realized, okay, wait a minute though. There is not only just an opportunity or inequity when we think about pay, but also pay is impacted by the type of roles you have access to, right? And then you weave that thread and connect. It's like, okay, and 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 that means higher paying jobs, right? And that's where you, to your point, just what you're getting at, right? That's where you're starting to see that disconnect between 
black people, people of color, where it's more entry level versus some of these other um, senior level roles. Uh, and, and one of the products that we're actually coming out with later in the year called Opportunity Equity helps companies unearth where those opportunities are. They do rep we do representation analysis um, to start with, and then we will weave into promotion analysis, really helping companies understand here's what you look like. And so I would say like, that's the, that's kind of the first thing it's, it's understanding what do you really look like across all of these levels? When we think about, um, underrepresented groups, protected classes, um, but then also understanding what is actually the available market for, for those senior level roles. Right. And it's understanding like, Hey, if externally, I'm just going to make this up. If you're looking for a senior director of uh, demand gen marketing and your the location that you are recruiting in, you see that there is external, there is external availability that, oh, 50% of this role externally is made up of people of color, right? And then if you look internally at your feeder at your feeder roles, meaning the roles that would be most likely to then accelerate and get promoted into that, if you're seeing that it's mainly, oh, we only have like 20% black, black people or people of color within those roles, your strategy then should probably be to externally hire, right? Mm. So it's understanding what do you look like at these different levels? But the biggest thing is what is the available talent? How diverse is the available talent, both internally and externally? Because their companies can get focused on like, what is the strategy, right? If you really want to push for diversity at all levels, especially in those senior level roles, manager roles, those roles that naturally um, get elevated, you got you to gotta understand first what you look like, but then you got to understand what is the availability talent pool internally and externally. That's something that our software helps helps companies do. It's almost like uh, your TAM, your total addressable market, but for exactly. people. Exactly. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that analogy. Exactly. Exactly. Because I think where we're, um, companies end up getting themselves or doing themselves a disservice, right, is they set these lofty goals. They're getting pressures from all sides. They know they don't, you know, they could be doing better just based off of what they anecdotally look like but they don't have the concrete data to really put numbers behind it. And then they end up setting goals that aren't realistic, right? Like if you're over yeah. here setting goals like, oh, we're going to have 70% black women in, you know, leadership level roles by in two years or five years. But then when you look at the available talent, be like, there's only 30% black women that even do this function, right? Like it's like you, the goal doesn't yeah. make sense. It's not realistic. And so, you know, it really is about getting the data, understanding what you look like based on the data, and then what is that available talent pool, both externally and internally, so you can set your strategy accordingly. And I think the other kind of thing that I'm thinking about with the data is, you know, I'm definitely data driven. So anytime you yeah. can give me data for something, I, you know, I feel like I can make a better decision. But what I'm thinking about is that actually helps you even know how you're doing and where the gaps are. Because, you know, I can think about, I, I guess we're only a year out now, um, you know, in the height of when George Floyd was killed and the, the protests and things that happened after that. 
I was a part of a number of discussions where, you know, there were predominantly white heads of marketing who genuinely wanted to know what can we do? Like in our roles, you know, not just in society, but in the world that I can impact directly, what can I do? And, you know, understanding that I do inherently believe that the majority of people in the world are good people and, you know, desire to do the right things and help to solve these problems. And in a lot of cases, it is really the, what do I do? Like, what can I directly impact? And I think even just seeing that gives you a clear, like you said, a way to create a strategy, like a clear step of, if I'd like more minority directors and I see all the feeder roles, there's not a single minority, that's my place to focus. Like those may be the roles where, you know, most companies have a promote from within strategy, but that might be the role where I say, you know what, for the next year, I'm not going to promote. We're going external every single time. Right. Um, And it's hard to fight those battles because, you know, especially if you have a promote from within culture and you want to go to your HR team, your recruiting team and say, hey, I want to bypass our normal policy and not even open this up internally without some data or some reason, they're going to laugh you out of that conversation. Exactly. Exactly. The data is key. (laughs) Yeah. Being able to say, look, here's what the industry, like, here's what's available. Here's what everyone else is doing. Here's where we are. And this is what I'm trying to solve. So for everything else, we're going to, you know, do what we normally do for this scenario. We're going to make an effort. And just thinking about if every CMO or every executive, I mean, hell, it doesn't have to just be limited to fixing things in marketing. If every executive had access to that data to find that one place that they could influence to be able to get more talent in the right places, think about how much more diverse our organizations, especially in marketing would be. Yeah. Yes. It's, 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 it's game changing in a way. Um, And, you know, it it may be obvious, you know, because it's not like, it's not like companies haven't been trying to solve this problem for some time. Right. Right. Uh, And setting, setting all types of goals. But it's like, when you have the, when you have the data and the insights, like those gaps, in areas of opportunity become like prevalent really quickly, right? And again, it's about setting goals that are realistic and attainable. And yeah. you, you, can't, you can't do that if you don't know like what is really the availability both on the outside and, and internally. Yeah, it makes it, I think the attainability is the key thing you hit on there because if I'm in a you know Fortune 500 company and I know we don't have much diversity, and especially in senior roles. And I say, I want to influence that. If we've got, you know, 50,000 employees worldwide, it's kind of yeah. like, okay, what do I do about that? Like, it just, it feels like- It's daunting. Much. Right. And it, then it's on top daunting. of that, it's like, I got a whole actual job besides yeah. trying to- And so it becomes too much. Yeah. But it, if you were to say, right, here's your big gap in your department, here is where you need to try to find diversity. That feels like something I can do without trying to like solve world peace and, you know, do all of these things. And we, and that's how we coach our customers. Like, you know, it's, 
going on this journey can feel daunting, both from a pay equity perspective and, and being able to make sure as you promote people or people want to move internally, that 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 is also equitable. And a lot of times with customers, like start with one function. Don't boil the ocean. Start yes. with one department, <laughs> right? Start with one leader, one department, and and really kind of get those quick wins and then start to expand it because then you can build the muscle. And then you can also see like it, it, it really isn't, it, it's not unattainable. Yes, it's hard work, but it's doable. It's achievable. And, you know, sometimes if you start small, it just makes it, um, it makes it even more so. So that's how we coach our customers. So talking about our challenges is just first step and nothing changes if nothing changes. So we got to talk about what we do from here. And in traditional therapy, the therapist gives the client homework, but at Revenue Rehab, I like to flip that on its head and have right. you to give us homework. So Carol, if you could summarize for me your key takeaways um, and then give our listeners that one thing, what is the one thing that you would like our listeners to do the action item that we can all take ideally within the next 30 days. I try to go with like, you know, things we can actually do after listening to this podcast um, to help to move the needle in workplace equity and recruiting diverse talent. Yeah. So I would say um, the one thing when we think about recruiting for diverse talent and, and really, you know, making sure your marketing organization or whoever else is listening to your organization is representative, right? True rep truly representative um, of, of the market. You gotta build that relationship with your recruiter. And I would like more tangibly, literally sit down, 30 minute conversation. What are the strategies that you guys are using to recruit more diverse talent? And I would say, you know, if, some of the things that we talked about are missing, then I would follow up with that all's great. Here are a couple other things, you know, that that I'm hearing in market that others are doing, right? Making sure you're setting really bold pipeline goals. Um, partnering with organizations. I think the partnering with organizations is such low-hanging fruit. Like I, I think it's really kind of finding the right organizations who are helping get access to diverse talent. I think that's low-hanging fruit because if you find one or two of the right ones, I think sky's the limit and it'll really yeah. help. It'll really help scale. Um, and I think really thinking about, I don't, you know, I know everybody's kind of in a different place on the remote work spectrum. Right. But really think through like, is this role, like, does this role need to be location-based? Can it be remote? You know, is there an offering here where if I really want this person to be on site at certain point in time, can you make it remote and maybe have some, um, guardrail set up to where it's like, hey, we really need you to be on site once a month or once a quarter or whatever it is. But just thinking through, can you really open up the pool to broader than where you are um, to really have access to, to more diverse talent? And then I think it's also thinking through, uh, again, with your recruiter, when they go to screen, what are those screening questions and how consistent are they? Um, and then another thing um, that I think has really worked with us to kind of make sure that, you know, even though we have a diverse pipeline, that we're really assessing for skills and capability, not just experience, 
you know, especially depending on the role, like I would encourage, like have some kind of take home homework or assignment. And it, it sounds small, but like, to me, that's a way to level the playing field across the candidates. Yeah. Cause some people just don't interview well. Some people don't interview well. Some people write better. Some people get their thoughts out more thoroughly in written form. So I feel like that's a really good way to, to level the playing field and be able to see with like a really solid scenario based question, like what, how does this person think? How do yeah. they unpack this problem? Um, so I would encourage you, I would encourage you all, all to do that. And I can say that's honestly been the biggest game changer for us is we have a scenario test that is the the take home homework. Yeah. And, you know, we only really expect candidates to invest 60 to 90 minutes. Like it's not, you know, I know some companies get a little carried away um, and yeah. it's not it's like, like proprietary that we're getting like free work because that's kind of the other issue. Yeah. But yeah. it really does allow me to see how people think. And I can think of two different people within our company who, if it had just been based on resumes and typical interview questions, they would not have been the one. But we when I was able thing. to see their scenario and see yeah. how they thought through things, it took them from, eh, I'll pass to get them on the phone now. Like it, it, it really it's does. The- it makes a difference. We we had the yeah. same um, we had the same challenge with one of our roles, uh, a senior manager level role late last year. Um, interviewed with a woman and interviewed with a man. The man was great. Really had a lot of experience. Had the skill. The way he talked, he really understood the the mechanics of the role. Talked to the woman. She seemed fine, but like I, I she was a little bit tentative in, in her approach, um, but still very interesting from a skill perspective. When they went to do the homework and submitted it, I mean, it was night and day. It, the, the, the gentleman we spoke with, I was like, you didn't even like try. Like it was like no competition. <laughs> she pulled out all the stops and she's one of our best. And so, and she, we hired her. She's one of our best performers. So it, it really does level the the playing field to your point, to your point. So in summary, our one thing is to start by having a conversation with, you know, your HR, your recruiter, your internal person. So have a coffee, a lunch, a cocktail, a taco. You know, I am always great when the one thing yields some food because yes. they hungry. <laughs> so we're going to take your HR person out. Uh, you know, if nothing else for coffee, virtual coffee, if you guys are remote and talk about what is the strategy for recruiting diverse talent, like that's your starting point. Um, and especially if you yourself are a minority in any group, you will likely have ideas and things that you can interject into that strategy. And starting there, I agree with you completely, Carol, is a great place to start in moving the needle in the right direction to getting genuine diversity within your organization. Um, Awesome. Well, Carol, I have enjoyed our discussion, but that's our time for today. This was Uh, so much fun. Yes, thank you. you, And thank you for joining me. Um, I'm going to make sure that there is a link to Cindio in the show notes because even though it, the intent wasn't a shameless plug, hearing what you guys do 
yeah. um, is really amazing. And I can see how impactful just the data alone can be in making a difference in driving diversity. So we will make sure to share that link with our audience. Thank you everyone for joining us today. I hope that you have enjoyed my conversation with Carol. Can't believe we're already at the end. See you next time. Thank you so much. Thanks everyone. Thanks. You've been listening to Revenue Rehab with your host, Brandy Starr. Your session is now over, but the learning has just begun. Join our mailing list and catch up on all our shows at RevenueRehab.live. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Revenue Rehab. This concludes this week's session. We'll see you next week.